Welcome to the MPC Podcast. I am Tim W. Gill, pastor of Medora Pentecostal Church, and I'm thrilled that you've joined us today. Here at MPC, we are committed to bringing hope and building lives. One way we do that is through this podcast. Thank you for listening, for sharing and reviewing what we do here. It is our desire to connect with you, and you can find us on Facebook, or you can find us at our website, medorachurch.com. It is our prayer that today's message inspires you, encourages you, and that the kingdom of God is advanced in your life. Let's get right to the word of the Lord today. I want you to go with me to the book of Luke today. With next week coming up, and we're going to be doing communion. A lot of times I preach on communion, on a communion service. But I want to do that this week to help us prepare for next Sunday. So I'm going to talk to you about the purpose of communion. The Lord's table, uh, the Lord's supper, whatever you would like to call it. I'm just simply using the word communion today to identify with it as Paul did. Luke chapter 22 and verse 14. Luke 22 and 14. And when the hour was come, he sat down and the 12 apostles with him. And he said unto them, listen to the wording here, with desire, I have desired, I have earnestly desired, he is saying, to eat the Passover with you before I suffer. For I say unto you, I will not any more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup, gave thanks, and said, Take this, divide it among yourselves. For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. And he took bread and gave thanks and break it and gave it unto them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you, this do in remembrance of me. Likewise also the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. Everybody say, The purpose of communion. Heavenly Father, we come before you today. We give you the glory. We give you the praise. Lord, I'm asking you, God, to help us, Lord, in this message today. Lord, to be able to present to your body, Lord Jesus, uh, uh, some understanding and revelation in the purpose of communion. We give you praise. And everybody say in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord bless you. You be seated. You've been around church for any length of time. You understand Passover has been in operation for a long time among the Hebrews as it was instituted related to the death angel passing over wherever the blood was applied to the doorpost of a home, the death angel passed over. If the blood was not applied, then the death angel entered in and the firstborn's son was taken. That was a memorial. That was something that was instituted for uh, uh, the Hebrews to remember and reflect on how they got out of Egypt by the death angel passing over them. In the time of the Passover, the city of Jerusalem would be turned into a mass of humanity where people from all different kinds of nations would gather to celebrate the most holy and famous Jewish festival. The narrow streets and corridors would be abuzz with activity as merchants set up their makeshift stores to sell Passover essentials. The landscape of Jerusalem would resemble that of a tourist attraction at its very peak season. The atmosphere at the temple was one that that was transformed from just simply daily operation to the grand time of Passover. 
We find that the store owners would begin chowning out their sales pitch in order to gain sale of their oils and their, their bread material and their bitter herbs to be selective and the, the, the Passover wine to be passed out. Stacked on one side would be the clay ovens that would be preparing the Passover bread. Stalls would be set up that would serve for currency exchange. Amen. Money had to be changed from that which is common and governmental to the temple shekel. You would find that everybody is organizing and getting ready. Such was the case in the Passover meal that we have before us. Jesus and his disciples were sitting at the table, reclining, if you please. They don't sit at tables like we do. They would lay on their arms and, and lounge. Maybe that's a good idea. I don't know. Anybody want to uh, chase lounge on your table? And so the Passover was a sign of covenant change in Israel. God was leading them out of Egypt into their promise, amen, towards their promise. And so there was a, a, a time of change and God had said to them not only to apply the blood, but to take the lamb and have a lamb for every house and everyone is to eat the lamb and have the lamb as their meal to signify that the covenant was taking place. Covenants in the Bible where there was a covenant between people or between God and people, there would be a meal connected to that. Laban and Jacob made a covenant between each other in Genesis 31, and they confirmed it by a meal. When the law was given from Sinai, given to Moses, you follow that story all the way through to the, toward the end of Exodus 24, and you will find that, that the Bible says, and they saw God in that, and they did eat and drink. What were they doing? They were confirming the covenant that God had given from heaven. How many of you understand that at a wedding we have a reception? The roots of a reception come from this idea because marriage is not a contract, it's a covenant. And so when you sit down at the meal, it may be finger foods or it may be steak, but you're sitting down at the meal because you are confirming the covenant of marriage that just took place. So the Hebrews would say when they have Passover, they were saying two things. One, they were saying, thank the Lord he brought us out. And they also had a seat for Messiah to come. So they were waiting for Messiah to come. Amen. But Messiah was already there as Jesus was at the table with his disciples. Jesus did something profound. We could spend a whole message talking about him washing his disciples' feet and talking about the problem that the disciples had one between each other. We could talk about that uh, in, at length. And he washed their feet and, and, he, and he spoke to them about serving one another. But he also took Passover to a whole new level when he made this major transition from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And he said, this bread is my body that is going to be broken. This cup, the fruit of the vine is going to be in this cup so that you will understand this is the cup of my new Testament. So he was distinguishing between the Old Testament Passover and the New Testament covenant. So when God's people would then partake of what we know as the Lord's table or communion or the memorial table, when we partake of that, what we are saying is I confirm the covenant that he made for me at Calvary. Right. Woo! Praise God. Somebody say hallelujah. hallelujah. I'm going to talk to you about some things that you need to know. And if you're taking notes, here's a good time to start. I want to talk to you about the significance that communion is. Number one, communion is an act of submission. When you partake of the Lord's table, you are signifying that you humble yourself to God's plan of redemption, of atonement, of propitiation. It is that you are saying, I acknowledge it takes the blood to save me. I acknowledge it takes his broken body to save me. 
So you're saying, I am submitting to God's authority when you partake of the cup and of the bread. When you have communion, it is also an act of commemoration. Amen. Let me give you some scriptures. For the first one is 1 Corinthians 11, 23, 25. For the second one, the act of commemoration, 1 Corinthians 11, 24, and 25. The Jews observed Passover to commemorate the exodus of Egypt. They would set an empty spot where they expected the Messiah to come to sit and commune with them. When Jesus picked up the cup and was set aside by the, I don't know where he was, but I can just see him going and sitting where the Messiah was supposed to be and say, here I am, and now I'm going to give to you the cup. He was proclaiming to them that he was the fulfillment of Messiah. The one, the hope that they had longed for. And so when he said, when you take this bread and you drink of this cup, you are saying, he's the one. You're commemorating, he's the one. Somebody say, he's the one. We're not looking for another. We don't have to have it be a Joseph Smith and have another New Testament. He's the one. I accept him for what he said he would do. When we take of the Lord's table, we are signifying he's Messiah and that he is also our Passover lamb. You will find in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 26, it reads like this. For as oft as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show. Somebody said you do show. Amen. Today I'm going to do a little teaching, a little preaching. Amen. The, the more you say amen, the faster I'll go. As often you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. The word show here means to proclaim. So another significance of communion is that it is an act of proclamation. It is a submission. It is, a, it is an act of submission. It is an act of commemoration. And then it is an act of proclamation. Partaking of the Lord's setting at his table is a proclamation on our part that we believe in everything Jesus accomplished in his death, burial, and resurrection. When I take the bread and I put the bread to my mouth, and when I take the cup and I put the cup to my mouth, I am saying, I believe that the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, amen, is my redemptive plan for salvation. Help us, Lord, today. So it is an act of proclamation. It is also an act of anticipation. Amen. An act of in anticipation. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. Somebody say, till he come. I believe he's coming soon. Partaking of the Lord's table then is an act of not only proclamation, it is an act of anticipation. Partaking of it demonstrates that I'm waiting for his return and I'm going to live for him until he returns. I just don't take it willy-nilly. I just don't take it as something that is a tradition or a sacrament that I can pick up and throw away, but rather I take it with anticipation Anticipation. I tell you with anticipation that he is coming. Hallelujah. It is also an act of affirmation. When Jesus instituted the covenant of communion, he said, This cup is the New Testament of my blood, which is shed for you. Hallelujah. It believes, and we are believing and stating that the New Testament covenant came not to destroy the old covenant, but rather to fulfill it. Everything that they prophesied in the old is came uh, come to pass in the new in Jesus Christ. So we are saying in taking that, I affirm from Genesis to Revelation. I affirm the continuity of the Messiah from Genesis to Revelation. From Genesis 3.15, when the seed of the woman is going to crush Satan's head, I affirm it. Hallelujah. It's not just taking bread and drinking from the cup. It is an act, amen, of affirmation. Let's talk just for a minute about the significance of the bread. I'm going to get into this a little bit deeper, but I want to hit the highlights with you. In particular, Jesus is said to be the bread of life, isn't he? 
The bread symbolizes who he is, his character, his person, his authority, his humanity, and his deity. The reason, how many, I know several of our ladies and men have prepared uh, the, the bread for our communion. And um, I always get this question back, how do you do it without yeast? You know, uh, communion bread, we, we, we do without leaven. Okay, taking the leaven out, we do it without leaven. I want to tell you that being apostolic as we are, being the people that are doing our best to follow as closely as we possibly can to the book of Acts. Okay? There's a long time between us and them, and a lot of things have changed. So what we do is that we don't just put up some old uh, 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 chicken in the biscuit Boy, I love me some chicken and biscuit, Brother Seth. Spray a little bit of cheese whiz on that. Mm. <laughs> you got a meal. But we, we, but we do. <laughs> oh, pull that back, Gil. Pull it back. <laughs> but we take the bread and we cook it without yeast so it is unleavened bread signifying because when our lord the savior had no sin in him i said he had no sin in him he had no leaven in him amen otherwise his sacrifice would be null and void but because he is the spotless lamb the substitutionary spotless lamb to come and bring redemption and take the price for my sin and for your sin and be the propitiation how many know that good old king james word propitiation means that he took the wrath of god from what was supposed to be to me and took it and put it upon himself. Mm. which means that God was going to pour out his wrath upon me. He was going to pour out his wrath on my sin because holiness and sin cannot mix. So there had to be a plan to bring about a, a way for me to come into his presence. And so I needed propitiation. I needed that sacrifice to take God's wrath off of me and put it on the spotless lamb. Paul wrote it like this, he that knew no sin was made sin, was made sin, was placed on him, the sin of us all, all your lying, cheating, stealing, carousing on him, all the thoughts that you have, all the thoughts in your brain, in my, my brain as well and what I have done, placed upon him. So when we say we're going to break unleavened bread together and those that prepare the bread amen I pray you pray over it while you cook it I pray you ask God's favor upon it this is a holy thing to consider it represents the unsin the not he that knew no sin was there for us and his body was to be broken as the spotless lamb that's why we cook bread the way we do the significance of the cup. The significance of the cup. What is in the cup? The bread signifies who he is. The cup signifies what he did. You say that again. The bread signifies who he is. The cup signifies what he has done. Only after we know who he is can we understand what he has done. That's why we normally take the bread first. You want to know who he is so you can understand what he has done. Amen in the cup. I, I want to run this through to you and remind you over here the reason that we use wine here at MPC. There is a lot of debate over whether one should use wine or grape juice to commemorate communion. I will tell you that as a boy growing up, all I knew was grape juice. That's all we had. I have traveled, uh, been blessed to travel. My wife and I have been blessed to travel all over the United States and other parts of the world. And I've come to realize that the question about wine versus grape juice has a lot to do with culture. It has a lot to do with culture. 
Questions overseas are very minimal when it comes to that because their culture is quite different than ours. Uh, questions in different parts of the country, both southern and, and northern, it's, it's a lot to do with, with how one has been raised. But I wanted to tell you this. Here's some things to take into consideration. I'm just going to hit this highly, just to hit some highlights about this. And if you want to go deeper with me, you have a question about wine and grape juice, we'll sit down together and talk this out. I want you to take it in faith, though. Somebody say in faith. Take it in faith. I took grape juice for years in faith. And if I was in a place that that's all they served, I would take grape juice today in faith. I'm just going to be real with you, okay? I'm not going to make a heaven or hell issue about it. I think it is a misnomer to do so, but that's me. Somebody say, Pastor Gill, chapter 2, verse 3. That's me, okay? But for my consideration and study, I want to be as close, as close as possible to the book of Acts as I possibly can. When you begin to study what, what was served in, in the Hebrew times, if you in the time of Christ, what was served was very much wine in some form, enough to get drunk on in some form. I don't think it was very, very much, I don't think it was like the distilled wine that we have today, but I do think that nonetheless, Paul said, be not drunk with wine. He went on to say we're in his excess. Be not drunk with wine. The same guy told his son in the gospel, take some for your medicine's sake. As before they had uh, uh, Eli Lilly and uh, all these other uh, drug companies out there, which I don't trust them as much as I used to, but that's another story and another message. But he told Timothy, take some for your, your stomach's sake, okay? When you begin to look through Scripture and you find places where the word wine is given or the fruit of the vine is given, it's the same word and the same understanding from the fruit of the vine, which, which is used in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that was used to signify the communion or the, what was in the cup, is the saying that Paul is talking about over in Be Not Drunken, where wine is in excess. All right? Here's the key for me as I was studying this, and I married it and come into a, a situation where wine was now being served. And I had to take my old Texas roots and deal with them and say, okay, now I got to decide for me, not just because they say that, why do I believe, would I, would I believe that, and what was I going to preach? Because I wrestled with it. We pastored in a church in Iron Hill, Tennessee. I, I, I made my wife fix some juice because I wasn't convinced in my mind. Y'all with me? Until I came to this, and it's not in the Bible. <laughs> but it changed my thinking. Pasteurization of juice was not invented until 1869. Therefore, what Jesus had and his disciples had would not have been present-day grape juice. Y'all with me? Oh, we're going to shout and run the aisles here in just a minute because I'm not through with communion. I just want to let you know where I'm coming from. Amen. Another issue is that the harvest of Palestinian grapes occurs August to September. The Passover would be served in March and April. There would not be a pasteurization process between the harvest and Passover. So more than likely, Jesus said, you don't put a, a new wine into old skins because it's going to ferment. All right? So ultimately, they had a process to sustain the wine, but it still fermented. Many people believe that it was some kind of different diluted thing. I don't know. But what I do know is that pasteurization of grapes did not happen until 1869, and a light bulb went off my head and said, if I'm going to do my best to be as close as the early church, then I must rethink my thinking. All right? Now y'all can say amen. Again, chances are 
What was served is not the distilled junk that is served on counters, perhaps in a lot of places. So we pursue then what's the best option we possibly can find, and that's what we do. Amen. With research and with thinking to try to find something that would affirm as closely to what that was. Now, again, I tell you, I, I believe that you need to do it by faith. Somebody say, by faith. <laughs> Hallelujah. When a believer takes of the Lord's table, he is personally affirming and appropriating everything everything of the new covenant. I'm saddened when I see religious uh, people and denominations have polluted this. They have messed it up. Amen. They've turned it into something that you're actually drinking the blood of Christ and actually eating the body of Christ. Amen. I'm no cannibal and I'm no vampire. Mm. All right. Shifting gears, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 16. Y'all still with me? The purpose of communion. 1 Corinthians 10, 16. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? Is it not the communion? Notice that word's there because some folks have taken it out. Is it not the body, or, or rather, the, the, is it not the blood? But it's the communion of the blood of Christ. We commune with the blood of Christ in the Lord's table. The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? Paul, in this writing, shifts gears because all throughout the epistles, he calls the church the body of Christ. <laughs> Hallelujah. The body is the container that holds the content. Does anybody know what the content is? The container is the body, amen, but we have content in us that is not us. I would like to run if I had some room. We are the container, but he is the content. What is the content? It is the spirit of Christ. It is the spirit of Christ. Oh, hallelujah. So when Paul begins to talk, he's talking about the body as being the container and Christ as being the spirit or the content. Now he's preaching to a church, and I've told you this before, but let me remind you. He's preaching to a church that could not get licensed in the assemblies of the Lord Jesus Christ. Or the UPC, or the XYZ, or the UWWF. Why? They're messed up. Oh, I'm so glad God put Corinth in there. Because there's some messed up people in the world. There's some messed up people in churches. There's some messed up people in this church. But such were some of you. So Corinth is out of whack. Within this church right now, they have divisions, heresies, confusions, perversions, and desecrating the Lord's table. In 1 Corinthians 11, the apostle Paul was both denouncing their error and establishing godly principles concerning the Lord's table. They had turned communion into a time of festivity and folly and gluttony. Gluttony had replaced remembrance of his body and drunkenness and had replaced communion with his blood for partying. Why do you think we only use little, little bits? Because it don't take a whole lot for you to remember. And then we are not partying. We're partaking. Okay? That's why we use small little pieces. Oh, thank you, Lord. Man, it's good to preach to y'all. Y'all helping me today. Yes, you are. You can say amen to yourself. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 17. Look at this. Now, in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not. He's talking about communion and how they're taking it. And he says that you come together not for the better, but for the worse. First of all, when you come together in the church, I hear there, are, there be divisions among you 
and I partly believe it. That's an interesting line to me. So that means some of the folks is telling him this, he didn't believe. Y'all sit down. True communion with Christ must be based on agreement within the body. If the body is divided, then communion is out of order. Let me say that again. If the body is divided, then communion is out of order. There are many significant aspects of communion. But let me just talk to you about a couple things. Let's go to verse 29. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-nine. Praise God. Thank you, media team, for helping me. If it's up there, somebody say amen. amen. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. The word communion is the word that we get the word fellowship or koinonia, close mutual association. It's where we get community and having things in common, jointly participating. Amen. It's to share one with another. It is the intimacy the right hand has as it signs a, a pledge of fellowship or shakes hands with the right hand of fellowship. Amen. It is an exhibition, an embodiment, and the proof of fellowship. So what communion says here in that very word, it speaks about co-union. All right? Co-union. The power of communion is not necessarily about the number of people that are taking it, but rather that the body is unified in taking it. Unified. That's why Paul said, let us endeavor to keep the unity of the brethren. Why? Because I'm going to show you in a minute, there's healing when the body is unified and communion is taken correctly. You notice that Jesus, he does nothing happenstance. The, the disciples washing the disciples' feet was not an accident. That it happened before communion. Amen. The reason Jesus washed his disciples' feet was to establish and inaugurate unity in the body before communion. There can be no communion without unity. Unity means that we are willing to wash one another's feet. We are willing to resolve dirty issues among us. We are willing to deserve, is, uh, re, uh, take care of, and resolve isms and schisms and division and Paul said this is why you are taking it unworthily because there is divisions among you and I partly agree understand so communion is also a test that taste that tests the state of fellowship in the body let me show you in scripture first Corinthians 11 I'm going to read I've been kind of hammering around this let's go back to verse 23 first Corinthians 11 and 23 for I have received of the Lord that which also, also I delivered unto you. That the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner, he took the cup. When he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye also as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as oft as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But... Let a man examine himself. And so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. Examine yourself before you eat the bread and drink the cup. It's what he's saying. Verse 29, for he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself. In the context, the body here speaks of the corporate body of Christ. The Corinthians were not walking in unity and they had dirty feet issues and therefore they were partying when they should have been having a sanctified time of taking communion. Amen. They had blown, I, I've had 
people tell me they've had communion with Pepsi and crackers. And I want to tell you, I just can't follow that. I don't think that's the way to do it. Amen. I believe it ought to be something that is sacred and it ought to be something that is special. But it begins with the condition of the body. And I preach this not because I feel division at MPC, but I preach this to tell you when the body takes communion unified, we are taking it worthily. We are taking it in honor. Which means we need to keep at resolving dirty feet issues. Please don't get me wrong. I believe in literal foot washing, and I'm okay with that. But I think that we miss the greater things behind it because I watch people that wash feet and still have bitterness and hatred one for another. Washing feet, Jesus was establishing, take care of your dirty feet issues one with another. It's not about sin issues. He took care of that. But dirty feet issues speak about things we walk around daily, and we're dealing with daily, and we're, we're, we're around. And what God wants us to do is that one another we lift one another up and we take care of dirty issues and say I'm with you I support you I'm going to take this communion with you the Corinth church was attempting to have communion without union and it got them in trouble where there is unresolved conflict where there's dirty feet issues among us we can move into that moment of eating and drinking unworthily. Unworthily. That's what Paul uses, that word. The word unworthily here means properly, tested, found wanting, not equal to the test. The unworthiness here is not about one being good enough. Mark that. This is not about us being worthy to partake of the cup. Not a one of us are. But it is unworthily. It is about motive. It is about motive and about manner. What he's saying is that watch out for how, what motivates you to eat the bread and drink the cup. Don't be careless about it. Don't be careless about the body. Not discerning the Lord's body. So discerning the Lord's body happens long before you ever pick up a piece of bread. It's about discerning one another. And quite frankly, you know what? There's some of us that's just hard cases to get along with. And I get that. I understand that. They're, they're not here today. They're just watching online. But we're hard cases to get along with. But what happens is that because of the unity of the Spirit. Amen. Come up here, Brother Dylan. I'll pick on you because I love you. Amen. And we got issues. and We got things that we can't get along with each other. We're, we're, you know, we just got stubborn issues. I can either say fooey on you or I can say in spite of my problems and in spite of your problems I'm going to make sure we stay together because love covers a multitude of sin thank God I said thank God because we're not all perfect little little robots and got all our, our ducks in a row and everything's just fine. And, and, and thank God. Thank God. Come on. Thank God with me right now. I'm not perfect. But I can still eat of the body. I can still drink of the cup. What was happening at Corinth is that they were eating the bread and drinking the cup unworthily because they had not been honest with their relationship with the brother and sister and the Lord. Eating and drinking of the communion meal signifies that we're committed to eating all of Christ. And all of Christ means I'm in the body. I'm not about destroying the body, but I'm about keeping the body together. Then Paul said, let a man examine himself. Let a man examine himself. And so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. Self-examination is essential to check your motive before you drink. To check your motive before you eat. Now, I've pastored people that in my book, 
probably weren't ready to go to heaven. That took the cup and took the bread. And I'm not going to stop them, Brother Jay. Just might be something triggers in them. I need this. And I'm going to go beyond just taking the cup into, into accepting the blood of Jesus on my life and not just eating the bread, but accepting the body of Christ as my essential lifestyle. So. Then he says, he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. And then verse 30 says, listen to this, verse 30, throw that up there, please. For this cause... Many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. Because they did not discern the Lord's body, they couldn't get the healing that's in the meal. I don't think you caught that. Because they didn't discern the Lord's body, they couldn't partake of the healing that's in the meal. Because this communion meal will heal you if you have examined yourself and made sure that you're discerning the Lord's body. I'm not saying that everything is taken care of and there's no issue. No, it's what I told you about me and Brother Dylan. In spite of our differences, we're still going to stay unified. You get that? You get that? Amen. It is interesting that the word damnation, when Paul says they, they drink damnation to themselves, it means an unfavorable verdict because the church at Corinth did not discern, they did not carefully evaluate and approve of the Lord's body and value the Lord's body. They got an unfavorable verdict when they drank of the cup. All right? And the result is that many were weak, feeble, without strength, helpless, Amen. The reason some people can never be faithful to God and faithful to church is because they don't discern the Lord's body. The reason some people are just always up and down, some people, some people that hold grudges and harbor bitterness and, and they love their offenses is because they've not examined themselves and they have therefore not discerned the Lord's body. Some that walk in unforgiveness of others and disobedience to the Lordship of Christ try to take communion and they don't get the benefit because they have been deemed the verdict is worthless. Amen. There is strength and power when you discern the Lord's body that we are many members, but one body in particular. We all have our place and our part, but one body in particular. There's strength and power then when you partake of the bread and of the cup. You've resolved dirty issues in your mind with your feet. You've discerned and said, listen, I can't harbor that bitterness. I've got to let it go. I can't harbor that hurt. I've got to let it go. I can't let that be in me. I'm about to drink of the, of the blood and eat of the body of Christ. He said that there was some sick. Sickly accurately captures the concept here. Sickly. Everybody talk about somebody back in the day. It's an old folk word. Oh, bless, bless their heart. They're just sickly. Okay. I'm not saying that person you're thinking of right now is the one that is true. But sickly captures a prevalent issue. Not all sickness is attributed to demons. Not all sickness is attributed to this. Some sickness is just happening because of the world we're in. Somebody say amen. amen. But if I have a chance to make sure that I'm covered, lest it be that I'm sickly, because I haven't discerned the Lord's body, whoo, I'm taking the ex examination test. Lord, look at me. Search my heart. Do I have anything with me that's keeping me from remembering the body of Christ? Amen. Even some passed on permanently because they didn't deal with dirty feet issues that Jesus typified in washing the disciples' feet before he gave them the New Testament. Amen. Then he says, he goes on to say, let's pick up this just a little bit further. Amen. Thank you for hanging with me today. 1 Corinthians 11 and 31. He's continuing the thought. He says about communion, unworthily, sickly, weakly, and summoned to death. He says in verse 31, for if we would judge ourselves, 
We should not be judged. Boy, I could stop right there. If we would examine ourselves, if we would say, me, oh God, me, oh God, me, oh God. Amen. I, I, I've watched over the years, and I've seen it with my own eyes and heard it with my own ears. My dad would go to a church, and folks would tell about how they had made things right before Fred Gill showed up. They went and got, got the right with this one, got right with that one, because he was going to come, and they know for sure he was going to expose them. How much more should we have an attitude before I partake of the cup and the bread? Let me judge myself. Oh, Lord, turn the light on me. I'm going to get along with you. Oh, God, I want to make sure you understand that I appreciate, that I affirm, that I submit, that I agree, that I appropriate, that I celebrate. And, Lord, everything you've done from Genesis to Revelation, God, I take it on. I want it. If it means your spirit, I want your spirit. I want everything. When I judge myself, I'm saying I'm getting ready. Conversely, verse 32, but when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. If we examine ourselves, God don't have to. Let me say it again. If we examine ourselves, God don't have to. His holiness demands when I step to the table of communion that he's going to know, am I discerning the Lord's body? Am I discerning the Lord's body? Remember, Peter, uh, we find that Peter wanted to wash, wanted Jesus to wash his whole body. But Jesus told him, said, you're clean with all except for your feet. God sent the judgments of weakness and sickness and even death to the Corinth church to show his displeasure and in chastening them. Why? So that they would not be judged in the final judgment with the world. Oh, man, I'm going to let you chew on that. I'm going to get to the end of this. So how do we do this? Let's go to the book of Matthew, chapter 18. Again, I am not preaching this because I sense there is a problem of disunity in our church. I don't. But I'm preaching this so you'll know how to appropriate the purpose of the Lord's table. Matthew 18, verse 15. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. Now, Jesus is setting up, this is the way you handle your business, okay? If he shall hear thee, thou shalt gain thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take with, take, take with thee one or two more. And in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. So you're coming together and, okay, we've got witnesses that says, okay, this is the situation. If he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee also as a heathen man and publican. Only twice in my entire life have I had it go to this far in pastoring. Only twice. Verse 18, verily I say unto you, Whatsoever ye shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And again I say unto you, if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything, that they shall ask, and it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. For where two or three are together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Amen. I'm so thankful for a Bible teaching bishop that taught us to understand what this talks about. This is not talking about where two or three gather in the church. When we have services. Oh, we just got two or three of us here tonight. Well, that, that may be true in principle, but that's not what this verse is talking about. <laughs> Praise God. Amen. I'm going to tell the story. Brother Nate Whitley went with Bishop to Africa. 
And they were driving somewhere out in the wherevers in Africa. And Brother Nate was in the back seat and Bishop was in the front. And he was talking to Sister Walls. And, and uh, Brother Walls was talking to Sister Walls. And she was relaying a message to Nate and, and telling him, do good. It's the first time he's preached overseas. Do, do real good. And, 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 and so uh, Brother Nate says, you know, tell her we're to agree with me. We're two or three will agree together. It's touching anything, the Lord to do it. And Nate told the story, but Nate didn't. He, t- he said, Bishop Walls took that phone and pulled it down like this and said, do you even know what that verse means? <laughs> I guarantee you today, old brother Nate, who is a Bible scholar in his own right today, amen, and a, and a great uh, writer and author and teacher and preacher, tremendous, but that set him on a course. So I better know what I'm talking about. Uh, amen. Because this is not talking about going to church and not talking about even praying and agreeing. It's talking about something even more powerful than that. If you've got a, a, a fence or you've got a trespass, one against the other, you go through the process of one-on-one and then bring a, a witnesses and then before the church. But what Jesus said, if you will agree, what are you doing? You're reassembling the body. You're remembering the body. If you will agree, what you agree on earth will be agreed on in heaven. It's talking about the power of the body of Christ. And if you understand the power of the body of Christ, when you take communion, you take it to your health. You take it to your healing. You take it to your salvation. Come on and stand. Let's worship the Lord. Let's worship the Lord. Hallelujah. For where you are in an agreement with the body, he said, there will I. Oh, hallelujah. Can you hear me? Are you hearing me? He said, if where the two or three will agree in the, my name, I'll be with you. You got issues? Come on, let's have communion. You got problems? Come on, let's have communion. Come on, let's agree in the name of Jesus. Come on, let's turn this into a worship room right now. Let's praise the name of Jesus right now. Lord, we want to be ready. We're praying for healing this weekend when we take communion. We're praying for victory when we take communion. We're praying, dear God, for deliverance when we take communion. Lord, in the name of Jesus, hallelujah. Lord, let us examine ourselves. Hallelujah. Let us examine ourselves this week. Lord, let us judge ourselves this week. Oh, God, let us look at ourselves this week. In the name of Jesus, if you want to come pray, come pray. Hallelujah. You want to stand and worship, stand and worship. Stay where you are, but of all things, talk to God. Talk to God. Talk to God. Thank you for listening to the MPC podcast. We trust that today's message has inspired you, encouraged you, and strengthened you in the Lord. We would like to invite you to join us again by simply subscribing to our podcast, and we encourage you to write a review if it has been a blessing to you. Again, you can find us at medorachurch.com to learn more about our ministry.